Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We have a guest speaker. We flew him in from two blocks away. And uh, so I appreciate your generous giving to offset the expenses of that long journey. But uh, I love this man. I've known him his whole life. He is my little brother. No, he is. How many of you, has anybody here thought Christopher was my son? Raise your hand. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I'm giving the microphone to him. All right. I love Dave. He's like a brother to me. Okay, um, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, I love to teach and preach on what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus. Like the parts that we don't have anything to do with it. It was just God's initiative, and God did it. He settled it, and it's just up to us to come into agreement with it and receive it. And receive the blessing of, the, of all that he's done for us. I love that. But how many understand that also we need a healthy diet of understanding there's parts of Scripture that also speak of a corresponding response from us based on what God did for us. Like, God's amazing, and what he, He's done for us in Christ Jesus is glorious, and we can rest in that. But at the same time, we also need to understand from Scripture that based on what he, who He is and what He's done for me, there's a corresponding heart response in my life. Like, if this is what He did for me, then this is how I should live. Paul does that a lot in his writings. If you read through the, the New Testament, and specifically Paul, um, take a book like of Ephesians. He starts off with a big picture kind of thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Whoo, it's amazing. All this stuff that God did for us before we ever existed. But then by the end, he breaks it down to the nitty-gritty details of things like Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Be a loving neighbor. Just practical daily stuff, okay? From the big picture down to the, the small micro stuff of every day. How many understand we need to have both? Okay? So I love the Word of God. And if we really are reading it well, if we really take time to dig into the Word of God, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and give us revelation, we're going to have some woohoo moments. It's like, yes, this is amazing. Look, if you, if you read the Bible and you never get excited, partner with the Holy Spirit and ask Him to show you what's really there. Because the Bible's an amazing book. So it's God's letter to us, and we need to have those moments of excitement of like, yes, this is amazing. But also... Along with that, if you never have those moments of, ouch, ooh, that hurts. God, help me. When you read the Bible, you're not reading in the fullness of what it really says either. And a healthy, balanced life is to have both. We need both of those. Um, so I, I just, for a few minutes this morning, I want to share on some principles God has been driving home in my own heart, challenging me with his word. The word of God is so important. And I, how many are thankful for Pastor Dave in the teaching gift that's on his life. He, 
is an amazing man of God, an amazing teacher of the word. And so the great news is we get to be a part of a church that has such a great pastor who's such a great teacher. But here's what we need to be careful of in that. Is that just because we get to sit under his ministry week after week and drink from the depth of the word of God, that's no substitute for your own personal time with the word. Like, I'm so grateful. I've learned so much from him and his teaching, but I can't live off of his revelation. I've got to get in the word for myself. And that's true for every one of us. We have to dig into the word ourselves. So I want us to um, look at a few passages of scripture that God has really been challenging me with. And so let's look at this 2 Chronicles 2. Let's, I want to look at a passage in Deuteronomy, but let's go to 2 Chronicles 2. 220. St. Chronicles 220. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to, I want to read this from the English Standard Version. St. Chronicles 2020, sorry. St. Chronicles 2020. Sorry about the confusion on that. For the passage of scripture, just for clarification, um, Saint Chronicles is right after First Chronicles. I just wanted to be clear with that. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, "Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe His prophets, and you will succeed." This is really an amazing passage of scripture, and and I know that. Uh, we are a prophetic church. We are a prophetic people. We make no apology for that. I'm thankful. I thank God for prophets and the prophetic, okay? And we will continue to be a prophetic people, okay? And I believe God, in these last days, God wants to increase the prophetic anointing that is on his people. Not just a prophet, not just a, a prophetic pastor, but on a prophetic people. That we would be a people that hear the voice of God, okay? Uh, we're thankful for that. And I know that this passage has been used in the context of the, the prophetic movement. But it, it, it has struck me and it, it's concerned me how I've seen people respond to this verse at times. Because what he says is, he says, hear, hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Um, and then he says... Believe his prophets and you will succeed. It's like there's this. Uh, I, I'm going to just read it like this. Obey the Lord and you'll be established, strengthened, firm, steadfast, and strong. Obey the prophets and you will prosper. Look, I'm all for prosperity. I love it. Thank God for prophets and prophecy, and I want to prosper, okay? But there's an order to it. And the first thing is obeying the Lord. And so if you try to jump into prospering based on the prophetic, but you leave out obeying the Lord, that's a recipe for disaster. The very first step is I've got to obey the Lord. And you know what? I'm really probably not going to know exactly how to obey the Lord if I'm not in his word. So I need to know what his word says. And if, if I want to know prophetically what the word is speaking to me, the first step is to know 
before I can know what it's saying, I need to know what it says. I hope that's not too deep. But before I can know what he's saying to me and how I apply to my life, I better know what it just says, what he meant in the first place when he gave this word. So what does the word of God say? I need to dig into the word of God for myself. And I see people at times in a very unhealthy way just latching onto the prophetic. Yeah, we love prophets and prophecy. Let me just get some more prophecy. And again, we're all for it, love it, like it, celebrate it. But man, if you don't have a foundation of just simple obedience to the main and plain of the word, it's a disaster. And so any, any and everything I'm saying, it, it, it's, it's not to diminish at all the role of the prophetic. It's awesome. We need to listen to the prophetic and, and discern the voice of God. And God wants to prosper us. But problems come when we want to jump right into prosperity without maturity. It's maturity that God is after, that he wants to conform us to the image of Jesus. It's foundational. It's important. If you don't obey the Lord, if you aren't rooted in his word, and yet you chase after prosperity by running after prophetic words, prophets and prophetic words, you'll end in misery instead of prosperity. There is no substitute for obedience to the word of God in our lives. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk um, in recent years, especially in the prophetic movement and prophetic streams of, of our prophetic destiny. But if my prophetic destiny becomes more important to me than my character, then I will not recognize that it's my maturity that will lead to my destiny. And if I don't recognize that, I'll probably self-destruct or at least stay stuck. Daily decisions determine my destiny. Look, I am so thankful for spiritual fathers and prophets and prophetic words. And God will use that to inspire us, to encourage us, to shape us, to, to, to pull us on further, to give us glimpses of our future and what God created us for, and it's awesome. But as new covenant believers, we get to hear from God ourselves. As new covenant believers, the Holy Spirit lives within us. We get to hear directly from the Father. Now, the safety net in, in that is I get to go to other believers, and this is how I live, I've lived my life this way for years. When I feel like I'm hearing from God, I weigh it. I go before the Lord. I take it in the Word. I meditate on it, sometimes maybe even fast. But then I take it before mature, godly leaders and say, look, you know the Word of God. You know the voice of God, and you also know me. You know some of my strengths. You know my weaknesses. Therefore, you tell me if I'm hearing right. Because it's not just enough for someone to know the Bible. They also need to be someone who's tuned in to hear the, the word of the Lord. Okay? And not just that. It's someone who knows me. Knows me both my strengths and weaknesses. That's the safety net to make sure I'm not getting off course, getting weird by hearing stuff that God's not really saying. And so it's a safety net. And it's important. It's, it, is, it is absolutely foundational. So I love the prophetic, but here's what we have to see, is that daily decisions determine our destiny. Daily decisions determine our destiny. Look, a prophet might point to my destiny. Hey, this is your destiny. This is what God's called you to. This is what God has put on your life. Awesome, amazing, I celebrate it. But my daily decisions will, are going to determine whether I get to that destiny. Okay? It's kind of... 
it's kind of like as Americans. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but one of the one of the biggest pastimes that we're into as Americans is dieting. I'm on another diet. I'm on another diet. I'm on another diet. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Now, I found that dieting and restricting of food and intermittent fasting, even long fasting, is very, very easy for me to put my dog on. Um, that's, it's, not been a, it's not been a challenge at all. For me, that's, that's another story. But, you know, I found it's like, wow, with our dog, that's a very easy thing to do. But we have this, we have this mentality in the United States of I want what I want, and I want it now. Give it to me quick. Give me the latest pill. Just give me the latest thing. Just give me a quick pill. Look, I, I, I want the results. Like, just help me not be overweight. I mean, I don't want to change my eating habits, but help me not be overweight. Like, I don't want to do anything that's going to cost me to get me there, but please, just give me some magic pill. And in all honesty, that's how we tend to be as Americans. And unfortunately, we tend to approach the kingdom of God in a very similar fashion. I want the benefits of the kingdom. Woo! I'm not religious. I'm a kingdom guy. I don't want to be religious. I just want life in the kingdom. That's awesome. I want the kingdom of God too. But we don't get the benefits of the kingdom if we're not submitted to the king. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't, doesn't, we don't get to be on the outside doing our own thing, living as rebels, picking and choosing what we want to obey or not obey, and then say, hey, God, but I'm expecting you to come through and take care of me. I want the benefits. As a matter of fact, I'm offended at you if, if things don't work out the way they should. I'm offended at you if I don't get those benefits. But if I'm not even submitted to the king and what he says, I have no right to expect the benefits of the kingdom. Everybody smile. God is good. Quick solutions usually only produce short-term results. Quick fixes often lead to quick messes. I was having a conversation with someone some time ago, and just talking about this very principle um, of, they were saying, you can't, I, they said, I've, I've realized I can't out-exercise a bad diet. It's like, Man, I'm working really hard. I'm working out. I'm exercising all the time. I don't know why I'm not losing weight. Well, okay, so I keep eating bad. I keep eating junk food. I keep throwing all kinds of garbage into my system. I'm overcharging my body with all kinds of sugar. And I'm doing that hour after hour, day after day, week after week, months for years. And somehow I'm thinking this exercise is going to take care of it. It doesn't work like that. Okay, that was the conversation that we had about physical health. But when it comes to our walk with God, there's so many times I see Christians that approach things like this. Well, man, I'm in the Word all the time. Most days, for a few minutes anyways, or at least a devotional that pops up on my phone, 30 second devotional to start the day. But I'm in the Word. So I don't know why, I don't know why I'm so struggling, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the Word. And some days, some days I'll even read it up to five minutes, okay? And then when I got a lot of time on my hands, I mean, I'll, I'll, ten word, ten, ten minutes in the word. Look, I, I'm not out to minimize that at all. Read devotionals, I read them, 
five minutes in the word, ten minutes in the word. Take whatever you can get. I, I celebrate that. Get the word of God into your system. Get acquainted with the word. But when you look at that, just the same way that some guy is like, man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to out-exercise my diet and it doesn't work. I'm trying to exercise to overcome all the junk I've been putting in my system. When, you're, when we're really honest with ourselves, if we go, okay, my five minutes a day in the word of God compared to all of the world's entertainment, all of the, maybe, maybe not even something that you're intentionally doing, but just the work environment that you're in, the stuff that you're exposed to in everyday life, the gossip, the slander, the, the crudeness, the uh, bitterness, betrayal, things that we're exposed to in life, stuff that we hear on the news, things that aren't even necessarily bad or evil, but just things that weigh us down. And we're getting all kinds of seed that's sown into our mind and our heart that weighs us down and drags us down. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Facebook, but I don't know that it is probably our primary, primary source for edification. I'll say it that way. Okay? So we get all this stuff sewn into our mind and heart. And then we're like, oh, but I spent five, seven, up to ten minutes in the Word. I don't know why I can't outdo this. I'm exercising, but I'm still, it's not working. I just got to do the simple math and go, man, if I'm spending hours planting this into my head, this into my brain, this into my heart, if I'm exposed to all of this, if I'm engaged in the, the, all this entertainment, and yet I only spend this much time in the Word, well, I'm probably going to really struggle. That's not harsh. That's not legalism. It's just math. Five minutes of exercise will not undo 20 pounds of sugar. Okay? I'm not a dietitian. I'm not even a mathematician. But I think I got that correct. You follow what I'm saying? It's pretty basic. Okay? So if that's true with our physical bodies, how much more with our spirit? Okay? To go. I read a devotional, a two-minute devotional, and here's five minutes in the Word. Two hours on Facebook. Four hours on Netflix, went to the movies, da 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 five more hours just surfing the internet. I don't know why I'm struggling. It just, it doesn't work. Mathematically, it doesn't work. So spiritually, I would say, you can't, ex you can't out-exercise a bad diet. Anybody encouraged? Yeah. You doing good? Okay, let's go, to, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Okay, I want to I read this from the Holman Christian uh, Study Bible. Uh, I've been reading this version lately. Matter of fact, I've been confusing myself because I've been reading all kinds of versions. I've been stepping out. Pastor Bob inspired me a few years back. I still read the NIV a fair amount, but I'm stretching, I'm spreading out. This is what he said, verse 24. Therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine, this is the Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine, acts on them, and it will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Now, the reason why I chose this version is because I've been reading this lately, and it struck me 
essentially, it's not any different than other versions. And we know that the essence of what it is is um, other, other versions will say the floods came. You know, the rain fell, the, the floods came, the floods uh, overflowed, whatever. It'll say it different ways. And the winds blew. You know, and knowing that historically, in the context, Jesus is talking about, I believe what he's talking about is, in other words, you could say this. Life happened. Life happened. You know, I loved it when she was leading worship this morning and she was saying, hey, when good things happen, when things aren't going our way, when hard things are happening, I say thank you. I choose to say thank you, even in the midst of the storm. So life happens, and there's a lot of great things in life, and then there's a lot of not-so-good things in life, and there's challenges and curveballs and disappointments and all that kind of stuff. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, there's difficulties that we will face in life. So the, the context of what Jesus is talking about is when hardship comes, then we find out really what our life is based on, Okay. But it struck me in reading this passage that the way it's phrased, the rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew. And it, 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 it struck me the other day going, oh, my goodness. Well, I just read there. That sounds like charismatic worship choruses. I mean, we sing that. Woo, the rain fell, let it rain. Open the flood, and then let the river flow. Let the, and then the winds blow. Let the fire fall. Let the wind blow. Let your glory come. I'm like, this is awesome. It's like a charismatic chorus. Revival. Woo. Now look, in all fairness, I'm leading worship next week, so maybe we'll sing some of those, okay? I'm not picking on that, but it struck me in reading that. I'm like, this is, this is amazing. Yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Let's go to the next verse. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, does not obey them, will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Going back to the essence of what Jesus is saying is that life happens. You never know what's around the corner. Look, God is a good God. But there's warfare, and we live in a fallen world, and life happens. And when hardship comes, we get to discover what is our life really built on. We're building it on a, building it on a solid foundation. And Jesus wraps this up by saying, you know, the only sermon really that he preached, you got the Sermon of the Mount. And in Matthew, the first of the Gospels, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he wraps all of this up by saying, he who hears these words of mine and obeys them, this is what he'll be like. You're built on a solid rock. Storms of life come and you can handle it because you built your life on what I say. And then the second one, life happens. But they did not obey my word and the collapse was great. Destruction came. And I know that this is, is not talking about our charismatic choruses, but I couldn't help but notice that, being the worship leader of a charismatic Pentecostal church as we are I couldn't help but notice that and here's the reality we can we can talk about whoo I want the power of God I want the wind of God I want the river of God I want the spirit of God to fall but if my if if our life isn't based on the word of God if we're not obeying the main and plain of what he says in his word it doesn't matter how much we cry out for that destruction can come to our lives. 
And I've seen that. I've seen that. Look, the reason why I'm sharing this, I'm not mad at anybody, I'm not, but I, I'm, I'm jealous for God's glory and I'm jealous that we'd be a people who would so honor the word of God in our lives. Again, we have an amazing pastor who's an incredible teacher, but we can't just live off of his revelation. We've got to be digging into the word on a regular basis, hearing and obeying. And unfortunately, our land, okay, across this country and other countries as well, but our land is littered with, with people who, who had experiences with the glory of God, who had experiences with the anointing, and now they're far from God and their life is collapsed. Their house is crashed because they weren't rooted in the word of God. And it's tragic. And, and I'm sharing this this morning because all I can do, Dave used to say this, that Preaching is just one beggar sharing with other beggars where they found some bread. And I'm telling you, God has been wonderfully, wonderfully dealing with my heart about the power of his word and obedience, simple, loving obedience, the importance of obedience to his word. Let's go to John 14. John 14. Whatever else you do as a Christian, if you don't read, meditate on, and obey the word, you won't be successful in your relationship with Jesus. If you want to know what he's saying, you need to first know what he said. So let's look at this real quick. John 14. Um, we're going to, I want to start with verse 23. This is the NIV that I'm reading from, from this, in this passage. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. For me, this is one of those ouch moments with the word of God. It's very easy for me to say that I love God. And we should say that we love him. We should praise him. We should declare our love for him. But there has to be a corresponding obedience and I've got to be honest with my own heart and go, man, God, if I say that I love you, but there's a stubborn part of my heart that resists you and that does not want to submit to your rulership and, dis and I disobey. And Lord, I want to be free from any hypocrisy in my heart that says, I love you, but I'm going to hold on to doing things my own way. He says, if you love me, you'll obey. If anyone, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Let's go on to the next verse. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Wow. You think he's driving his point home? If you do love me, you will obey. Next verse. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Let's go to the next verse. Actually, let's, let's, let's jump down to um, chapter 15. Chapter 15. Let's go to, um, let's go to verse 9. 15.9. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. I love that. Don't you love that? How much, how much does Jesus love you? The exact same way that the Father loves Jesus. How many think that the Father loves Jesus? A whole lot. Jesus perfectly, 
always, for all eternity past, today and for all of eternity future, perfectly, 100% obedient and submitted to the Father. All he does is live for the Father's glory and pleasure. And God the Father perfectly, with a passion, loves his son Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? I love you just the same. I love it. I, that is so awesome. And then he says, I've loved you like that. Now remain in my love. Let's go to the next verse. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Anyone starting to see that maybe Jesus thinks obedience is kind of important? If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I love the love of God. I love the fact that he loves us and it's not based on what we do or don't do. It's unconditional. Aren't you thankful for God's unconditional love? That he loved me while I was still yet a sinner? You know, one of the things about obedience is he has every right to tell me what to do. He has every right to tell me how to live my life. He's the king. And when I was a rebel outside of the kingdom, when I was arrogantly raising my fist to him in defiance, living my own way, while well, I was still a rebel, while well, I was still an enemy of the cross, you know what he did? He sent Jesus to die for me. He gave us breath. He gave us life. And when I was on a fast track to hell, Jesus intervened with his grace. He rescued me. Now he has he has every right to tell us how to live in our sexuality, in our money, our time, our attitudes toward each other, forgiveness. Now, you know what's amazing about this is Jesus doesn't call us to do anything that he hasn't done or has been willing to do. Look what he says. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus isn't, Jesus is not God sitting up on the throne going, hey, I know it's really hard to obey, but good luck. I'm going to demand it of you, but I'm not going to do it myself. No, Jesus humbled himself, came off the throne, became a man, walked in perfect submission to the Father and says, now go and do likewise. Just like I've loved the Father and I obey him, love me and obey me. So when Jesus says in, in Romans 12, he says, offer up your body as a living sacrifice. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do. He offered up his body as a sacrifice at the cross. He's not a mean, angry tyrant, some boss who demands things of us that he would never do. No, he humbles himself, and he's been willing to do it himself. And this is what he says. He says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Now, look, I, don't, I admit to you, I don't fully understand that. And these are aspects about abiding in God's love I'd rather not touch on. I'd rather, there's other really funner feeling things that I'd like to talk about the love of God. But he says, if you want to abide in my love, obey my commands. What does that mean? Does that mean God doesn't love us if, if, if we ever mess up? Like when you sin, he stops loving you? No, I don't believe that. I think we have clear revelation from Scripture. The nature and character of God is that he's loved us from the beginning. Love is who he is. I'm thankful for his unconditional love, but there's something special, beautiful, and powerful about us obeying him and abiding in his love. 
There's something that keeps our hearts aligned to the beauty and the perfection of his love. And I would venture to say that probably some of the reason for that is, is because when we disobey him, we violate our conscience and our conscience bothers us and it weighs us down. And you can't really f abide in the fullness of God's love. You're loved, but you can't really live in the fullness of it when you have a, a conscience that's bothering you. Thank God for our conscience. Thank God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, look, I want to give you the key for living in the fullness, abiding, dwelling in the fullness of my love. Obey my commands. That's his heart. That's his heart. He's an amazing, amazing God. Let's go down just a, a, a couple other verses here. Let's go... Um, Let's go down to verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. How many would like to hear that from your best friend? <clears throat> um, you and I, we're not friends anymore unless you do everything my way. Like, we're done unless you do everything I want to do. I would suggest that's probably an unhealthy relationship and stay away from that person. Or at least, you know, give them some healthy feedback, help them work through that so they get a healthy perspective. But if they continue to demand you doing everything their way, yeah, you might want to cut that relationship off. Just a thought. Anyways, but this isn't just anybody. This is Jesus, God in the flesh. This is the king of the kingdom. And he has every right to say this to us, okay? You are my friends if you do what I command. Wow. Again, that's not harsh. That's a beautiful invitation. The sovereign God of the universe, who I've sinned against so many times, he's inviting me into intimate friendship. And if I do what he says, I get to abide there as his friend. That's amazing. That's glorious. That's way more than I ever deserved. And he has every right to tell me how to live my life. He's really good. Let's go on down uh, uh, the next verse. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. So, there's been a lot of emphasis in recent years, and, and, and I understand why. Because the Holy Spirit's wanting to emphasize it. Look, you're not a slave, you're, you're not a servant, you're a friend. I think God's wanting to warn us. Sound the alarm. Wake up. All right. Thanks, John. I was waiting for John. Um, so, it's a false alarm as far as that goes. So, we don't need to rush out of here. But at the same time, um, Jesus is making it clear. <laughs> You're my friend if you do what I command. In the kingdom of God, 
the love of God is unconditional. And I'm so thankful for that. Even while I was still a sinner, he loved me. While I, he knit me together in my mother's womb, he loved me. Okay, Ephesians 1 says he chose me for the creation of the world. He loved me from the beginning. It's unconditional love. No matter what I do or don't do, he loves me. And no matter what state I'm in. But friendship, according to this passage, is conditional. Friendship with God is conditional. I can't say that I'm a friend of God and still just do things my own way. We can't enjoy the benefits of the kingdom if we don't submit to the king. We all want grace, but God says he opposed the proud that gives grace to the humble. If I want grace but refuse to humble myself, I won't receive grace. Here's the thing about his commands. We're wrapping it up with these couple of thoughts. Here's the thing about his commands. He says, and I love this. I absolutely love this. He says in 1 John 5, 3, this is love for God to keep his commands. Again, anybody think that New Testament, New Covenant, that it's pretty important to Jesus that we obey him? Like, obedience is not just, well, that was an old covenant concept, and now we're under the grace of the new covenant. Woo, I can just do whatever I want. I expect all the benefits. No. He says, this is to love God, to obey his commands. And then he says this. He says, his commands are not burdensome. That's amazing. His commands are not burdensome. You know what's burdensome? Living as a rebel against a holy God. You know what's burdensome? Trying to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Trying to, trying to frustrate it with yourself and with God and everyone around you because you're not getting kingdom benefits, but you're living in disobedience. That's what's hard. That's what's hard. Submission to the king is beautiful. He says, if you'll love me, you'll obey me. But he says... That his commands are not burdensome. That's the kind of king that we have. That's the kind of God that we have. Now, I want to wrap it up with one last verse here out of John 15. Let's go to verse 11. Here's the beautiful thing. Your every act of obedience is a declaration to everything and everyone around you that our God is a good God. In Ephesians, it talks about that we teach the principalities and powers of darkness the wisdom of God, that we literally teach them. Every time that you are tempted to look at porn but you say no, you're declaring God is a good God. He's better than temporal fleshly desires. Every time you are tempted to spew something out of your mouth that you should never say and you hold back, you're declaring, you know what? God's a good God. 
every time you're tempted to be greedy, but you counteract that with generosity, and you give to the poor, you give to church, you give to uh, kingdom uh, adventures, you give to uh, missions. Every time you do that, you're declaring, you know what? God is a good God. My life is not my own. Therefore, my money's not my own. And I trust God by giving of myself. You know, if the only way you view obedience to God is, a bummer, I have to obey. But when you realize, wow, he's an amazing God. And every time I obey the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm giving a poke in the eye to the devil. Woo! That gets a little more fun. Every time we obey, we're declaring when it's hard and things are difficult. And you say, I don't care what happens. I'm going to worship him anyways. He's a good, good God. And I want to demonstrate his goodness by reciprocating his love, by demonstrating it with obedience and declaring to the world around me, God is a good God. He is a good, good father. He has every right to tell me what to do, and it is my joy to serve him. He rescued me. Hell is no longer my destiny. Heaven is my destiny. I'm now a son of the living God. He is so good. He's a faithful, trustworthy worthy father now this last thing here in john 15 that i want to mention is he says i've told you this so that you could be miserable and religious but somehow make it to heaven when it's all done is that what he says i've told you this so that you could be bound and have no fun in life because I am a joy kill, but at least you escape hell. Is that what he says? We'll try it one more time then. I have told you this. What is he saying? He's saying, obey me. Obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't love me, you won't obey me. You demonstrate your lack of love by your disobedience. But if you love me, you will obey me. And my motivation for telling you all of this is not because I'm some cruel dictator using you as a pawn on my chessboard because I have some ego that needs to be stroked. No, that is not the heart and the nature of God. He says, I long for you to be obedient. Why? Because I, so that my joy, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and you may know joy to the fullness. God is a good God. He's a good God. He's a good God. His motivation when he outlines in scripture the design for human sexuality, it's because he's a good God. Everything he puts in there, it's because he's a good, good father. I want us to stand. So when God puts boundaries, when God puts parameters... When he puts that in scripture, it's not because he's cruel. It's not because he's harsh. He knows what he's doing. He's the one who designed us in the first place. And we get to prophesy. 
We get to preach through our obedience. We get to declare to the world and to the powers of darkness. We get to say like Job, come what may, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. He's a good God. He's a trustworthy father. And Lord, you're so good. I want to live a life of obedience. And when you say give, I'll give. When you say move from Brazil to Iowa, I'll do that. Lord, when you say for me to sow into missions or go in missions, I'll go. Because you know what's best for me. You know what's best for my life. You alone are smart enough and wise enough to run my life. I'm tired of running my own life, doing things my own way. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us exactly like the Father loves you. And there's this glorious invitation you give us to live and abide in your amazing love. And that's through our obedience. You never created us to live with a guilty conscience. That's just a safety net to get us back on track. And then to find forgiveness and to live holy before you, to obey your word. Lord, I ask that you would awaken a hunger in our hearts for your word like never before. God, in our small groups, God, the men's ministry, women's ministry, with the Latinos, God, that you would awaken a hunger in our hearts for your word to let your word go deep in us so that we can have those whoo, hallelujah moments when we read your word and we would also have those ouch moments where we allow you to dig deep into our hearts. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. And we want to demonstrate our love for you by our obedience. We're just going to take one more minute. Just put your hands out before the Lord. Would you just if you're in agreement, just, just pray this with me. Jesus, I want to worship you with my obedience. I want to hunger for your word. And I want to obey your word. I want to I be obedient in every area of my life. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to put your finger on any area of disobedience. Make me obedient. I choose life by choosing obedience. Not a reluctant obedience, but a joy-filled obedience to your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you're a faithful, loving Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We bless you. 
We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.